And as you're having a seat, we're going to invite our children to be dismissed to Children's Church this morning. The pitter-patter of those feet going down the hall. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20 as you're, we're getting settled in here this morning. <clears throat> and will you join me in another word of prayer? Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your grace sets us free. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, this morning um, you would free our minds and our hearts uh, from that which holds our minds captive, from hearing, seeing, and experiencing your spirit, Lord. Uh, God, I pray and I ask that uh, you would just please... Be with us as we come to your word. You'd be the one who uh, ministers. You'd be the one who speaks. I pray that you'd be with me, that uh, I would be faithful to the message that you've called me to preach, Lord, and uh, faithful to our congregation. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that um, as you speak, we receive. We, uh, we are open to you, Lord. And then, Lord, more than that, that what you uh, speak to us, we apply. We apply today and we apply in the days to come. Uh, that's our prayer this morning. We pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. <clears throat> Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. One thing that's uh, quite... Uh, Interesting is when we read the stories of Jesus' resurrection in the Gospels, we find that the, uh, the disciples are not easily convinced. They're not readily convinced that Jesus has raised from death. Uh, and the stories tell us, uh, you know, the ladies go to the tomb early in the morning. They find it empty and, uh, and they come back to report it. And, uh, of course, the guys go, oh, yeah, we trust you, ladies, right? No, they go, what? Let's go see for ourselves. And then they run down and find that, oh, hey, well, the tomb is empty. And then they walk away and they don't go, oh, you know what this means? This means that Jesus raised from death. They walk away very confused. They walk away uh, very perplexed over uh, the reality and they gather back together and they begin to, uh, to, to try to figure out what's going on. Uh, you and I might find this strange that, uh, that, uh, that the disciples needed such convincing. Uh, but today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to appreciate. I want us to appreciate that the disciples did need some convincing and that they shared with us that they needed some convincing. Uh, moreover, I want us to learn. We can learn something from the reality that the disciples, those, those ones who trusted Jesus in the very first place, those ones who were faithful uh, friends of him throughout his earthly ministry, uh, those who first delivered the good news. Uh, I want us to learn from the reality that they needed convincing. 
And so that's my hope and my prayer is that as we walk through our, 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 our message today, we'll find some appreciation and some uh, learning, some gleaning from uh, this testimony. Uh, one such place that we find that the disciples need some convincing is John chapter number 20. It's a very familiar story, so that's where I've invited us to, but we can look at any number of texts. <clears throat> Another famous one would be in Luke's gospel with the two on the road to Emmaus. But uh, uh, let's just give ear to the reading of John chapter number 20. And of course, uh, I won't read uh, the whole, uh, the, the whole uh, story, but I'll just kind of uh, set this stage. Uh, verse, John chapter 20, verses uh, one, uh, 1 through 9 uh, tell us that the ladies went to the, the tomb. They found it empty. They went back and they reported this to uh, the other disciples. And then Peter and John, they go and they run to the tomb. And, uh, and we didn't know this whenever it started out, but come to find out it was a competition who would get there first. And, uh, and John is proud to announce he won the competition. He got there first, but John is also, uh, he, he's so proud to announce that he waited. He waited until Peter caught up before, uh, before he went and he looked inside the tomb. Uh, uh, they, they looked inside the tomb and, uh, and, and they see that it's empty. Um, and they saw, they believed what the women had said. But verse number nine says, uh, they yet, for as yet they knew not the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. They believed the report of the ladies, but they still didn't know what was going on. So verse 10 says, Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. It tells us that Mary stood without the sepulcher. She was weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and she looked in. And at this point, she sees two angels. One was sitting at the head and the other at the feet. Now, if you've ever known anything about the Old Testament, there is this, there is this treasure in the Old Testament uh, amongst the Jewish people. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. And at the mercy seat, what we find is, uh, is the, the understanding would be that the Ark of the Covenant sat in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the temple, and and. and Upon the mercy seat rested. This was God's throne, as it were, on earth. But on this mercy seat, there was two angels that, uh, that, 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 that would have sat on either side of this mercy seat. So whenever John is recording this for us, and he, he says, hey, she looks in and she saws, there's an angel sitting where his head would have been and an angel sitting where his feet would have been. So these two angels are not sitting right next to each other. There's some space about them. John is kind of giving us this image. Hey, listen, you know, we, we looked in and we saw, as it were, the mercy seat. And the angels announced, uh, they said, uh, woman, why weepest thou? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Again, not easily convinced by the empty tomb that Jesus has raised from the dead. She's going, where did they take him? Where did they hide him? What's, what gives? What's going on? And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and she saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's the first day of the week. It's a new day of creation. 
And just like God had made a garden and placed man and woman, well, here she is in a garden, and she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. That's another, tech, uh, another message for another day, but just some, just some Easter eggs here that we find throughout John's gospel. She said, sir, sir if, if you've taken him, tell me, tell me where they've laid him, and I will take him away. Not convinced that he's been raised from the dead, seeing this man, thinking that he had a hand in removing Jesus' body. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And at this moment, you might think about the time whenever you were a, a lost child and you heard your, your parents' voice and it gave you peace. Maybe as a, uh, as a as a spouse beside yourself, you heard your spouse say your name and bring calm to you. Jesus, this faithful friend of Mary, this one who she had trusted in, who she had believed to be the Messiah, he says, Mary. And at him naming her, she turns herself onto him and she says, Rabbi, which is to say master, which is also another word for teacher. And Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm going to ascend to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. When he says, touch me not, we should not think, oh, this Jesus couldn't be touched because he wasn't physical flesh and blood. That is bad theology and it's bad reading of this. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Jesus eats a piece of fish. Later in John's gospel, Jesus is going to eat a meal with them. This has nothing to do with he's resurrected and he's like a ghost or an apparition. Uh, he's not a physical human being what this has to do with jesus is he's saying you cannot cling to me right now mary i'm here but i'm not staying here this is the message that the church has had a hard time with for all these years he's risen he's returned he lives again but i'm going away i'm ascending to my father to your father to my god and to your god you cannot Keep me here, Mary. You cannot cling to me now. Go tell you the other disciples. Mary uh, came and told the other disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things unto her. The disciples were still gathered later on that same day in the evening. It was the first day of the week. The doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And here comes Jesus, and he stood in the midst of them. And when he stands in the midst of them, he has to say these words, peace be unto you. Why does he have to say the words, peace be unto you? Because when he stood in the midst of them, they didn't go, oh, hey, Jesus, that's right. You rose from, what, Jesus? Jesus, where did you come from, my friend? We thought you were dead. We saw the empty tomb. We didn't know what to do with your body. But here you are in our midst. Peace be unto you is a sign that they were not easily convinced that Jesus had raised from death. They didn't know what was happening. And so whenever they're gathered and Jesus shows up in their midst, he has to say, hey, calm down, everybody. Just like he did to those raging seas. Peace. Be still. Hey, calm down. Calm down. Just, just take a breath. Or as they would have said in the 1990s, take a chill pill. 
And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Here's one of those things that we have to contend with. The resurrected, glorified Jesus still has nail-scarred hands and a pierced side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Wow, peace be unto you, did it do it for them? He also has to show them his hands and show them his son. Then, oh, it's you, Jesus. <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. I'm just going to tell you, I was having, I was, there was a lot of things going on in my brain, right? This whole text tells us they were not easily convinced, not readily convinced by the empty tomb, by the angel's proclamation. They were not convinced even when Jesus showed up in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you. They were not easily convinced that Jesus has raised from death. Am I convincing you about them being not easily convinced? Then, then were the disciples glad. It's almost comical. Then were the disciples glad. Then it occurred to them. And then Jesus said unto them again, Hey, calm down. Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And he said uh, this, he, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But here's the deal. Thomas, one of the disciples, the one who's a twin, and they called Didymus, because that means twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples said to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas was not easily convinced. Thomas said, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You will not easily convince me, says Thomas. It's going to take some hard evidence to get this mind and this heart to surrender to the reality that Jesus who was crucified has been raised it's going to take a lot of convincing for me and so he sat with that for about a week and eight days later uh, Again, the disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus to the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst, and he said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Hey, buddy, here's my hand. You want to make good on your offer? To put your finger through my nail-pierced hand? You want to make good on that, uh, that claim that you need to stick your hand in my uh, <clears throat> spear-pierced side? Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Yep, you're right, I am. And you believe me because you have seen me, Thomas. And blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. I hope I convinced you that the disciples were not easily convinced. I will say this. When we read 
not only John's gospel, but all the gospel accounts, what we find out is that the disciples were not easily convinced about Jesus' resurrection. What I want us to do today is appreciate, appreciate this reality that they told us this. And then I want us to learn some things. Here's why I want us to appreciate the reality, okay? For one, practically, we should appreciate it because it's an honest telling. It's just honest that they were, that they told us, you know what? He, he raised from death and guess what? None of us, none of us really believed what was going on. We were all a little confused. We were all scared. We didn't know how to put one and one together. It, it, it did not add up to us. Why I think this is an honest telling uh, should be appreciated is because let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. You've watched a movie where there's a big twist at the end. And instead of going, oh, wow, I never saw that coming, you have said, I saw it all along. Because we have some vanity in our hearts that says, nobody got one over on me, right? Uh, there were some of you who, who, when you watched Sixth Sense, you said, oh, oh, it, it's a little boy. Uh, not, not the little boy. It's Bruce Willis. He's, he's not alive. I knew it all along. I knew it all along. And you're liars. You're full of baloney. So here's the reality. We should appreciate this honest telling because you and I understand that we have vanity in our hearts. And you and I are not always so honest to say, guess what? I'm a doofus. I missed it. If you are going to claim to me today that you are so honest that you, that, that, that you own up to every time that you're a doofus, well, <clears throat> I'm going to ask your wife to come and uh, testify to that, or I'm going to ask your husband to come and testify to that, because I can tell you this, there's plenty of times whenever, well, I, I, it's stupid little things that I find myself trying to hide and cover up. Do you not? And this is not a stupid little thing, is it? This is a major, major life-changing thing. And so we should appreciate, just for the practical reality, that they are willing to put themselves out there as the doofuses, as the ignorant, here, here let's, let's not just say doofuses and ignorant. Let's say they had to put themselves out there as the ones who were afraid. Men, when do you ever want to look afraid? When do you ever want to admit that you were really afraid? Yeah. They said, we didn't know what was going on. He showed up in the middle of us, and, and they tell it a little cleverly. He showed up in the middle of us, and he said, peace be still. And then you go, well, why did he have to say peace be still, John? Why did he have to calm your heart down? Well, I don't know. I wasn't afraid, but the other guys, you know, the other guys, they were feeling it. No, John says, you know why he had to say peace be still? Because we were scared. We were out of our minds. We did not know what was going on. You might not appreciate this point as much as you need, but I'm going to stop trying to convince you to appreciate this point at this time. I'm going to move on. But we should appreciate the honest the honesty of the gospel, the gospel witnesses for telling us that they were vulnerable. They're afraid. They were the ones who missed it. Even the ones who walked so close with Jesus, they missed it. They missed it. They missed it all the times that Jesus said, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. 
I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. They missed that part, we already know. And then he said, and on the third day I'm going to rise from death. They missed that part too. And they were honest enough to tell us. They were vulnerable enough to tell us. I appreciate their honesty uh, because that in and of itself is a revelation of the gospel work in their lives. But I also appreciate their honesty because we have for us a text that we could claim as faithful. These are not a bunch of people who are out to save face telling us the story, the good news of Jesus. These are a bunch of people who are saying, let me just tell you the raw details, and guess what? I'm going to look like a doofus in it, and I'm going to look like a big scaredy cat, and you're going to call me a yellow belly, and you're going to read it, and we have. You and I have read this text, and we've gone, idiots! And our Jewish friends have said, oy vey! They missed it, right? And they were putting themselves out there to say, this is how it went. So we can trust it. But we should also appreciate the honesty of it because it reveals the gravity of the situation for them. This, 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 this idea that they were not easily convinced reveals the weight of what, what they're experiencing, what has happened in the world. And there's a lot of things that we can say about this, but I hope that we can understand that Jesus was a Jewish man who came into a Jewish context, who preached and was the hope of Jewish messianic expectations. And why I say all the Jewish stuff to that is because there's a whole history of promises. There's a whole history of prophecies that have to do with God's chosen people, Israel, and what they're expecting when their Messiah comes. And Jesus doesn't just come into a, into a void and pronounce himself as king of the world. He comes into this unique story of God's chosen people looking for their redeemer, looking for their Messiah, looking for their Lord. And as N.T. Wright, a historian and a theologian, says, he says, while many Jewish people were waiting for the Lord to return and to resurrect Israel at the end of history, no one was expecting that resurrection would happen to one man in the middle of history. This transformed everything that they thought they knew. This radically changed all of what their hope and expectation was for what God was doing, not only for them, but in this world. At once, this was both a culmination and a fulfillment of all the ancient promises and prophecies but at the same time, it was also the beginning of something that had been entirely lost on all of them. Not just the disciples had missed that Jesus raised from the dead on, 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 on Easter Sunday morning all those years ago. But all of Israel had missed that the Messiah must come and he must suffer and he must die and he must raise again on the third day. That had been missed to all of them. Now, I want to say this. It was lost on all of them, but it's not a new word. It's not like God said, you know what? After all, I'm going to change my mind. Here's what I'm going to do. 
Instead of doing this, I'm going to send Jesus. What, what God had done, he had been promising all along through the prophets, through the law and the prophets. They have all agree that Jesus, that, that, that he would send one man into this world. And this one person, through this one person, and only through this one person, could the world be reconciled and rescued and redeemed. He had been promising this, but people just misread and misinterpreted what he was saying. In fact, we can go to Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah 52, in fact, first. Let's start there. Isaiah chapter number 52. And as I, Isaiah chapter number 52 starts out in verse number 13. I'm going to read it from uh, the NLT just because it's a little bit cleaner of a translation. And, uh, and we don't have time to explain all the text here. But Isaiah 52 verse number 13 says, look or see. My servant will prosper. He will be exalted. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. Listen, his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know that he was a man. Verse 15 says, he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard. And Isaiah 53 goes on to say, this one who is highly exalted. Here's why everybody's having a hard time believing this message. Because he looked like one who was, who was forsaken of God. And none of us accepted him. In fact, we crucified him. But God raised him up and gave him a name that is above every name. This had long been told in the Hebrew scriptures. This had long been told in Israel's prophecies. But whenever the disciples saw Jesus on the day that he was resurrected, they had to be convinced because they had not read the story that way. In fact, you should understand, when you talk to Jewish people today, and you should understand this goes back to ancient Israel time, whenever you see, read Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, and you go, how can you not understand this is talking about Jesus? Because it lines up so much with Jesus. Here's what you need to understand. The Jews of Jesus' day and on down through the, today, they read and they interpret that the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and 53 is Israel itself. Not one person in Israel. It's all of Israel. And in fact, what you have to understand is in Jesus' day, they wouldn't have only considered themselves as, as the people who would have to suffer some fate. They saw themselves as the people who were actively suffering. They were under Roman occupation and beginning with the Babylonian exile, they had been suffering as a nation for 500 years. So whenever Jesus shows up and Jesus says, hey, all the things that he says and he promises, all the liberation that he promises, but then Jesus becomes the one who is the suffering servant himself, it radically changes everything that they were thinking in the first place. The disciples didn't easily digest that Jesus had suffered and died and rose again because they were not expecting one person to suffer and die. They were expecting the Messiah to come and to raise up all of Israel to its former glory, to the days like whenever David was in rule and when Solomon was in rule and they were, they were united and they were a world superpower and they were going to be the ones through whom all the world would be blessed and saved. But God said, no, it's through my one son Jesus that not only Israel but all the world would be saved and so the disciples were not easily convinced because they did not read the story 
to mean one person, a suffering servant. They read the story to be we, Israel, the ones who suffer for God. They did not read the story to say he's going to come and raise up that one through whom all the world would be blessed. He's going to come and he's going to raise up Israel and we are going to be the ones through whom all the world will be blessed. But it transformed what they knew about Jesus. He is a suffering servant. He is the one. He is the one through whom all the world is rescued from captivity to sin and death and hell. So my brothers and my sisters, this is the good news because while they, they, they were not easily convinced, once they saw Jesus, they begin to testify, hey, it's not through Israel that the whole world is saved. It's not, you don't have to get circumcised and become an Israelite. That's why Paul talks about that a lot in his epistles, but it's through the man Christ Jesus and through faith in him alone that you can be rescued, you can be redeemed, you can be set free, and you can be set free for forgiveness. You can be set free to receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, let us tell you this radical news that we were not easily convinced of. Let us be humble enough to tell you honestly. Hey, listen, it took some convincing for me, an old stock Jew who was bummed who was miffed, who thought my whole world had just collapsed because I put, I bet on the wrong horse whenever I bet on Jesus of Nazareth. Even whenever he raised from death and people were telling me that he raised from death, Thomas would say, guys, let me just tell you, it's embarrassing for me to say really. But my brothers who I had walked with and who I trusted, they were telling me, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And I was like, yeah, right. I was not easily convinced. But now that I am convinced, let me tell you the good news. Uh, Paul is very careful to say that this was not a new message. It's not radically new, that it had been hidden in the prophets and they just misread it. He says this in Colossians chapter number one, around verse number 12. He says he's, the, he's, the, he's a, a, an apostle who is sent to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That has been hid from all generations. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter around uh, verses 10 through 12. Peter says, hey, listen, the prophets, they had long looked into what was, what was going to happen. They had searched the scriptures, but it was revealed to them that it, but it was revealed that it would not be unto them that they would see and that they would know. But those who had preached the gospel to you, he says to his audience, they're the ones who had this message revealed to them. So, my brothers and my sisters, they were not easily convinced. And you and I should appreciate that because they give us an honest telling that they weren't easily convinced. You and I should appreciate that because what we get to see through that is why were they not easily convinced was because it blew every expectation that they had. It turned their, their thinking upside down. And because they weren't easily convinced, they really had to wrestle with things. But here's, here's where I really want to, us to get is what can we learn and what can we glean from this? We live in a world where people will not be easily convinced. And just like, just like we shouldn't be surprised about the disciples not being easily convinced, we shouldn't be surprised about that in our world today. And, and I talked to Christians and you talk to each other and y'all hear this all the time. People act like, well, like this is such, this is just such plain reality. A guy died on Friday and he came to life on Sunday. Everybody should get that, shouldn't they? You and I should understand that the message that we believe is wild. 
It defies explanation, logic, reason, physics. Uh, it defies so many things. It defies even just what you and I, flesh and blood, the way that we would tell the story. The way that you and I would tell the story, Jesus never loses. He only ever wins. And you know how I know that? Because all of our songs are just about him winning. Oh, yeah, we love the blood. But the blood was victorious. I have to tell you the blood was victorious. Because I, I can't even just wrestle and rest in the fact that there was a Saturday before there was Sunday. I can't even go through cancer without people going, well, you just got to keep your head up and you just got to hope. Why can't I just go through cancer and cancer stinks? And my body's in agony. Oh, well, you're Sunday. Well, just, you know, God has a good plan for it. We only want to tell the winning story. And here's what I would say is we live in a world that's not easily convinced. And you and I, we don't have to convince them by telling them win the winning story. We can tell the honest story. You can tell your honest story. And your honest story was that before you knew Jesus and before you were rescued and even after you've known Jesus, you don't get it right all the time. Like, but you can tell the honest story that you are a bumbling disciple just like the disciples of old. You can tell the story that, hey, guess what? Today I woke up. And I didn't feel great. I didn't wake up and I was feeling mighty fine. I got heaven. Oh, mom, I woke up today and the news crushed me. I didn't know where I was going to go. See, that's how the psalm goes. The psalm says, I didn't know where to go. And it says, lead me to the rock. Not, hey, uh, 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 I woke up and I was standing on the rock because I'm a rock stander. The world, what we should learn from this is that those worlds are easily convinced and what they need from us is honest testimony. We appreciate it from them. The world's going to appreciate it from us. That's my point there. In case I don't clearly articulate it, because sometimes I get going preaching and I don't clearly articulate it. The world needs honest testimony. And is this honest that you woke up feeling mighty fine? I'm glad for you. But don't feel... Don't you feel like you have to wake up and put on mighty fine feelings? Because that's not our faith. Our faith is rooted in people who woke up and they said, they were taken by Satan. Our, our good news is that our Savior comes into the midst of our loss, into the midst of our confusion, into the midst of our chaos. He doesn't just do that once. I said a prayer when I was five years old, and now I've never had chaos in my life again. That's not how it works. Our Savior is the one who comes again and again and again and again, and he says unto us, peace be unto you. Peace be still. See, that's the Savior that this world needs. The Savior, they, they need the Savior that, that, that is the true Savior who says to them their name. He names them when they are broken and they are crying and they're going where what gives where's god in all this and he they, and he says he says your name where have they taken my lord jesus told thomas you saw and you believed you weren't easily convinced it took some convincing and you believed and he says, blessed are those who don't see and don't believe. My brothers and my sisters, what we can say is we're the ones who didn't see and we still yet believe. 
And every time we don't see Jesus, who showed up to Thomas and said, here am I, peace be unto you. Every time I struggle, Jesus shows up for me and says, hey, hey, here am I. And my faith is not that I've got it figured out. And that I'm never afraid because, because I'm just never afraid. My faith is sometimes I get real scared and anxious and I don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes I mask my fear. Sometimes I max, mask my, uh, uh, my insecurities with acting like, well, I've got it all together and I got, I got all the self-help books. And, but really the fact of the matter is, is I go, man, what's my board of directors going to say to me? What are they going to ask of me this, this month? Do I have it all together? It, it, does my wife see everything that I'm doing? Every time I am not convinced, good news, I have somebody who looks at me and says, Here I am. Hey, here I am. I rose from death. I ascended to the right hand of the Father. morning is this. We should really appreciate that our work needs convincing. And I think we'd take that for granted. And I'm not going to preach about this, but I think I'll just leave it as something for us to think about. I think we should be suspect of people who easily believe. And we shouldn't preach a gospel that's easy to believe. The good news of Jesus Christ is not easy it's not easy to receive. The disciples reveal that to us. But if it's a matter of life and death, should it be? Should it just be this thing that people pop like they pop uphill? People believe everything in our world. Maybe I will preach on this for a second. People are ready to believe anything in our world. Well, I'm on this new diet because I watched three YouTube videos about it. There was this TikToker who was really convincing that I'm going to be a millionaire in six weeks. Am I wrong about this or is that just flat out right? People are longing for anything and they will, they will swallow anything. They will believe anything because they live in this hopeless world. And we have a gospel that, yes, it is not easy to swallow, but once you are able to digest it. Once the disciples were convinced, were they not convinced? How convinced were they? They were willing to live their lives in such a way that would bring hurt and hostility and shame and pain upon them. And they had nothing to gain from it on this side of heaven. But they knew that there was an eternal reward for them. And so they lived very convinced that the one who had been raised from death would one day raise them from death. That the inheritance that they had in him and in his return was better than anything they could get here. They were fully convinced about that. And I'll be done with my preaching today. The disciples were not easily convinced. We should appreciate that because it teaches us some things. But we should also learn from it. We live in a world where, where, where 
where people aren't easily convinced about the, the, the gospel, but I will tell you, people are easily convinced about any easy way, any easy way. And the thing that makes the gospel hard is because it's not an easy way. But what they can do is they can receive from us honest testimony. They can receive from us honest living. They can receive from us people who live as salt and light in this world because they're never going to see Jesus until the next time we all see Jesus. But until that time, you and I, we can bear about him. We can bear about in our body his crucifixion and resurrection. And so my brothers and my sisters, let's go. And let's be the ones who live lives that can convince those who are hardly convinced about Jesus. And with that, I say, amen. Uh, will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are.